Welcome to the Third Growth Option Podcast, where we talk with business leaders and innovators hungry to drive growth that can be faster than internal organic growth and less risky than acquisition. Your moderator is Bernal Dunkerspuler, Chief Sherpa and CEO at Realign, who has led private equity-owned distributors through turnarounds and growth. With battle-proven leaders from all frontiers, we want to provoke thinking about business growth beyond conventional wisdom and binary choices. Hi, I'm Benno. Today we're talking with Brett Goldberg, a tech entrepreneur, software developer focused on uh, mid-sized businesses. Brett is the founder and CEO of Syncware, which uh, you founded in 2006, marketing and integration platform enabling vendors to become more scalable and efficient in the supply chain. Things like EDI, CRM, order management for vendors, primarily in the gift, home decor, beauty, and natural product industries. Besides developing applications and devices that help B2B businesses be more efficient and connected, you are a multilinguist who is fluent in more than a handful or dozen or dozens of languages. I, I remember you and I had breakfast in Atlanta a number of years ago and you spoke to two or three people in three or four different languages, I believe, during that breakfast. I thought you could just say hello to our listeners in, in some of your favorite languages. All right. So it's not quite a dozen. It's, it's 11. But uh, my most recent language is Kurdish. And so uh, I'll be happy to address the audience in Kurmanji, which is the northern dialect of Kurdish. So... Uh, Salav Gilohe Valon as Bretim, Navimin Bretim, as Naha Zamane Kurdi Hinbabim, as Ne Alkas Bash Bakurdi Dahavim Le, as Bachuk the Karim Bahsabakum. All right, now we need to switch to a couple others that, you know, because we have listeners in 20 different countries at the moment. So maybe say hello to people who speak Spanish. Buenos dias. Buenos dias a toda la gente. ¿Cómo están ustedes? We were talking about speaking French a couple of weeks ago. Ah, mais bien sûr. Je suis né à Paris et je parle français. Et uh, je voudrais dire uh, bonjour à tous les gens qui écoutent uh, à ce podcast. I love it. Thank you for humoring me and people who listen in from other countries. Now, Brett, you create technology solutions and, you know, that product changes constantly. You're selling to B2B vendors and the omni-channel landscapes in which they sell to, you know, selling to consumers, B2B or, or directly B2C. That changes constantly. Yet you've managed to grow your business in the past 15 years, thrive, and knowing you will continue to ride the wave for the next five or 10 or 15 years. What would you say keeps you grounded in that sort of sea of change all around you? Sure. So first, in uh, a nutshell, basically what we do is we are plumbers. Vendors need to connect to all sorts of external endpoints. And by vendors, we mean importers, manufacturers, distributors, They need to connect to multiple channels. They need to connect to Amazon, Wayfair, Overstock, Shopify, BigCommerce, Magento, WooCommerce. And we basically have a library of, 
300 or so plugins that vendors subscribe to in order to make this data flow back and forth between the order source and their ERP system or their warehouse or wherever they need it to flow. That's the mouthful of what we do. And we work with about 300 vendors, most of them in gift and home decor, but a certain amount in toy, as well as uh, furniture, beauty, and natural products. So in terms of staying grounded, I think that a company of our size, which is small, needs to remember to always be a mammal. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. There was a time about 100 million years ago when, you know, mammals pretty much had to figure out how to scamper between the, the dinosaurs and not get crushed. And so in the space in which we operate, there are some real giants. And we basically have to figure out how to add value to our customers while at the same time not competing with a giant in such a way that would get us crushed. And so that's always the challenge. And, you know, every day we're, we're figuring out new ways to do something that other people aren't doing. And usually if somebody's not doing something, it's either because there's a reason why they're not doing it or it's because it doesn't have the profit margins in it for it to be interesting to a bigger company, but we can squeeze into that niche. And so those are the kind of things that we look at every day. When we're asked to build a plugin, we have to make an assessment in terms of, you know, is this a plugin that multiple vendors will want, or is it something that just this vendor would want, in which case uh, we really have to be disciplined about whether or not we can afford to build it. So it's really about adding value uniquely, right? Yeah, I think I probably didn't answer the question about what keeps me grounded, but uh, I think that'll probably emerge throughout the podcast. But yeah, you have to figure out how to add value without antagonizing bigger and more powerful players in the ecosystem. And that's what I meant by uniquely, right? It's about adding value in your building your own niche, finding your own niche. And, and I do think that does partially answer the question of what keeps you grounded because there are a lot of business owners who are chasing, you know, the latest shiny object to, you know, uh, want to know what is everybody else doing? Me too, me too. But that's not what sort of gets you up in the morning. Yeah. I mean, you can make that calculation if you're a huge company because, you know, sometimes you can hit a space harder and with more resources than anybody ever has today. And so if you're a big company, you can do that and uh, you don't have the constraint of having to be unique. But maybe the story about how we started might be instructive in terms of how you ultimately pivot into your niche. And so when we first started back in 2000, even before 2006, we were trying to be the sync card. And the idea was to have a barcoded card that any order writing system could scan and through a web service immediately retrieve all of the buyer's details. So I had been to a few hundred trade shows and it always seemed to me very clunky. It still does that when a buyer orders from a rep or a vendor for the first time, all of that information needs to be entered again and again in the rep or vendor system. And so we tried to be that card. We couldn't get the buy-in from all the various order writing systems to scan our card. And so eventually, you know, enough vendors said to us, hey, look, 
you know, what we're really having problems doing is importing all these orders from 10 different systems. We wish there would be one gateway that would connect to all those systems. And, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, when you hear something four or five times, it clicks. And so that clicked and that's what we became. As a matter of fact, uh, before we were Syncware, we were called Common Vendor Gateway. It wasn't that catchy, but <laughs> that was the pivot that basically took us from a company that had a product that nobody wanted to a company that had a product that could actually have customers. Was there something you learned about yourself in that process? And even before you started the technology company in 2006, and I, and I want to talk about the before that, as you decided, I'm going to build a technology company, the first name wasn't that catchy the first, you know, then you pivoted and then it became Syncware. Was there something you learned about yourself in that journey? Yes. So what I learned is really something that I knew about myself since childhood with an added wrinkle. So since childhood, I always knew that I loved to build things. And, uh, you know, back then we had erector sets, you know, I used to spend endless, endless hours building things uh, of erector sets. And when PCs came along in 81, I was just hooked because here, you know, here was a canvas on which you could endlessly build things and have people use them. And so that's the second aspect of self-knowledge that I learned once I started a software company, which is that I love to build things that people use and I love to dialogue with them about how they're using it. And so It's actually my downfall because, uh, you know, I spend way too much time on customer service than a company owner should, but I'm addicted to it because I love getting feedback on things that we build. And it's just, uh, you know, really fulfilling to have somebody say, this thing is really helping me. And, you know, I have this suggestion or that suggestion as to what could be added. But I think those are the two pieces of self-knowledge that keep me going. And also, one thing that I've learned is that once you have a going concern or, you know, once you have a company that's operating and has customers and hopefully is making money, the temptation becomes to only do things that people are asking for. And you might come up with a great idea that you know has a place in the universe, but nobody's asking for it. And so you don't allocate time and resources to creating this thing that, that you know is ultimately going to attain wide use. And as an entrepreneur, you have to discipline yourself to allocate resources to these new ideas because eventually somebody's going to do it. And, you know, if you're not first to market, you have only yourself to blame. And you really have to force yourself to keep on pushing these things that nobody is asking for, because otherwise they're just not going to happen. So I think what we're talking about here is proactive versus reactive. You said earlier you love the interaction with your customers and getting that feedback from customers about what, what's working, what's not working, what to do better. And that's reactive and that's important. But then we have to, you know, as business owners, we have to discipline ourselves to set a time and a place to be proactive and really think about what we haven't been asked yet that could make a big, big difference in, in the marketplace, right? 
Exactly. So what was good training for me from age 30 until age 45 was being an importer. Because as an importer, there's very little that you can break simply because you're importing somebody else's product and your job is to build the market. And so the whole onus of product development is taken away from you. And so all your, all your energies are poured into the sales channel. And so basically you have to do the same thing repetitively, open up more and more and more territories, more and more and more accounts. You're forced to do the same thing repetitively. So ultimately you're forced to create an efficient and profitable company. That's not the case in software. The unique feature of software is that you can basically reinvent yourself every day. So you need that discipline. And this is where you walk a tightrope. You need that discipline to not reinvent yourself every day, but you also need discipline to continue inventing. And so every software entrepreneur and to a certain degree, every entrepreneur period has to manage this dialectic between repetition and creativity. And if you do only creativity, you'll never make money. And if you do only repetition, you'll just burn out. I love that, the juxtaposition of repetition and creativity and having to find that right balance. You just mentioned your 14, 15 year history before starting the technology company that you're currently running, running an import distribution company, Ahaba Skincare that sold primarily to upscale department stores and thousands of independent boutique stores. What makes you smile or cry as you remember that 14-year journey of being an importer and distributor? So what makes me smile is that it's how I met my wife. <laughs> there <So> you go. <laughs> my, wife, my wife was my first uh, sales call. She was the cosmetics manager at Saks. And so that was fortuitous. Yeah, not much about that journey that makes me cry. It was a lot of fun. You know, here you had a product that people loved. And back in, in 1989, they were a $1 million company who was trying to penetrate the U.S. market but couldn't open up a single store and they couldn't figure out why. And when I got here in 91... I basically did a little listening tour and met with a bunch of store owners and reps and consumers, not so much because I knew that the product was well adopted. But what I heard from the stores was, look, we sell a luxury hand cream for $15 and we make, you know, 40, 50%. And you're trying to sell this hand cream for $5, which is better than the luxury hand cream that we're selling. And so you're basically going to decrease our profits if we bring this product into the store. So I tripled the price of the product and sales exploded. <laughs> we can solve that problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, it was uh, really a cultural phenomenon because in Israel, there's no such thing. The product was from Israel. And so in Israel, there's no such thing as a department store. They basically have Hamash beer, which is sort of like a JCPenney's. But there's no such thing as a Saks or a Neiman's. And so they really didn't have any exposure to the whole luxury goods mentality of if it costs more, it must be better. 
so, you know, that was just a layer that needed to be added to the product. And, you know, once that happened, there was 15 years of rinse and repeat. We talked at the very beginning about change. Your technology changes all the time. The vendors that you're working with are selling in a fast-changing retail landscape and e-commerce landscape. What recommendations do you have for vendors in our industry? What do you recommend them to think about to thrive in this fast-changing world? So what's new in the past two years is marketplaces. E-commerce marketplaces. B2B marketplaces, the likes of Fair, Tundra, Abound, Bulletin, Orange Shine, etc. Oh, and also uh, Market Time by Reptime and Juniper by uh, IMC. So basically what the vendor needs to do is position themselves to sell through multiple marketplaces and to be on all the marketplaces. And that's one way of riding out the hard times because the, the sales are taking place on these marketplaces. And so the vendors want to be there. Secondly, vendors more and more are gearing up for dropship and they have to because more and more of the business is going from B2B to B2C. Fewer and fewer consumers are going into stores. They're buying on Target.com, on Macy's.com, on Wayfair.com, Urban Outfitters, Madewell, J.Crew, Anthropology, And so the typical vendor has to be connected to all the dropship platforms, which are the platforms that these dot-comers use to have vendors dropship for them. And so those are Mercury, Disco, Miracle, Rev Cascade, and Commerce Hub. Those are the five main dropship platforms. And so vendors need to connect to all of those. And with those two things, vendors can pretty significantly increase their sales. Also, they need to start making a, an investment in online marketing so that a certain percentage of their sales are B2C. So I've seen some vendors go from, and this is in the extreme, I've seen, I've seen some vendors go from 95% B2B and 5% B2C to 95% B2C. And these vendors are making pretty significant monthly investments in Google AdWords and Facebook marketing and everything that it takes to drive traffic to their website or Facebook shop or to find their brand on Amazon. So this is something that gift vendors have never done before. Gift vendors have never really invested in being consumer brands. I can probably count on one hand the number of consumer brands that we have in this industry. Gift vendors have always been perfectly satisfied with being trade brands. In other words, brands that stores knew and loved and would come and visit at trade shows, but not necessarily brands that consumers would know. And so that's changing. Going back to this idea of standing and thriving on shifting ground, what are you personally doing in your capacity as CEO of Syncware or in your life? What, what are you doing to stand and thrive on shifting ground? In the business, I would say that my prime function is to build alliances and relationships. And so if I'm doing my job right, I'm investing a significant amount of my time 
in building relationships with alliance partners. And basically an alliance partner is someone to whom you refer business or who refers business to you. But it's basically a friendship that you can depend on over multiple decades. And so what we find is that our best alliance partners tend to be companies roughly of our size, not necessarily exactly our size, but roughly our size who need an integration partner that they can bring into deals and so that they don't have to develop their own integration department in-house. And so we have about 20 such relationships that have really served us well over, you know, the past 15 years. And, you know, these companies feel like family. You know, we, we celebrate their life cycles with them, you know, whenever somebody gets married or, or, you know, has a child, it's always a joyous affair. And so, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, in, in the old days, clans would have relationships with clans, reciprocal relationships. So it's kind of like that. In other words, without, without those kind of relationships, it can be a pretty cold ecosystem out there. I understand what you're saying. And I always think it's important to combine business and, and fun, right? To, to enjoy the business interactions we have to build people relationships in business in addition to people relationships in our personal life and you know friendships but i think you're right that you know in this crazy world that we live in that changes all the time if we don't have mates teammates industry buddies it's hard to stay grounded so i i think that's very good advice totally and i would even go so far as to say that to a certain degree the resilience of a company is really best measured by the resilience of the company's relationships. And so here's what I mean. Bad things happen. No matter how many precautions you take, some things are going to spin out of control and bad things will happen. If you have relationships, those relationships can often sustain the impact. If your company's market is built solely out of, you know, what we can call weak ties, you know, if your client's basically only know you as a service, a service provider that they talk to once a year and really nothing beyond that. When something bad happens, uh, you can't really depend on any kind of forgiveness or anything being taken into account. And so I think that companies that you know invest some good resources in relationship building are always going to be more resilient companies than companies that are purely transactional. Brett, if folks wanted to reach out to you and, and just talk to you one-on-one -on -one out, outside of this podcast? How can they find you? So uh, B-R-E-T-T at S-Y-N-Q-W-A-R-E.com. Brett at Syncware.com. There you go. I really enjoyed the conversation as, as, as I always do with you. I, I think you brought a lot of interesting perspectives and, and you know, I love the juxtaposition of It's important to find the right balance between repetition and creativity, being proactive and reactive, and what you just talked about in the last few minutes about standing and thriving on shifting ground requires strong relationships, strong people, alliances. I love the word clans. Any parting words of wisdom? Yeah, just be a mammal. Be just, a mammal. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just figure out how to 
how to scurry between the uh, dinosaur footsteps and uh, figure out, you know, how to occupy a place in the ecosystem. You know, inevitably you have to compete with somebody, but just try to figure out how to occupy a place in the, in the ecosystem where, where you're doing something, at least one thing that nobody else is doing. There you go. Thank you so much, Brett. Thank you very much for being part of this episode. Really a pleasure, Benno. If folks wanted to explore other growth topics, you can find me on our website, realignforresults.com, or just email Benno, B-E-N-N-O, Benno at realignforresults.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time. You can listen to more episodes on Apple, Spotify, or Google. We would love for you to subscribe, rate, and review it. Share it with your friends or colleagues if you enjoyed the content. Always growing.